0: You all are a little more awake than the first hour, let me tell you that. But I want you to know, sometimes they're actually more lively than you are, and it's early, so that does concern me. But today's a good day, and uh, you need to get warmed up, because at the end of the message today, if you're going to be biblical, you'll want to say amen. So we'll have to get in touch with our inner Baptists, and uh, be ready to do that later on in our, in our time together. kind of struck me today when we were singing that uh, song about Yahweh, holy is your name, I never really thought about it before until this morning when we were seeing it first hour. and You know, the Jews won't say Yahweh. It's God's name, it's biblical, it's used in the Bible, that He is this unique, eternal, different God, the God who is the great I Am, Yahweh. And they won't say His name because He is too holy to even have us say His name. And, uh, you know, I've kind of looked down on that because it's in the Bible, and it is what his name is. and uh, Theologians have had to be technical to not say Yahweh, so they referred to God in that name as the ineffable tetragrammaton, if you want to be fancy. The unspeakable four-letter word, because in Hebrew it's four letters. And I've thought, you know what, I don't think that that's more tradition because it's his name, just say it. It struck me this morning that Apart from a perfect mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, I actually think they're onto something. He is that holy. He is that frightening. He is that distant. Maybe it's wise they don't say His name. But with a perfect mediator in Christ Jesus, isn't it great that we can say His name and not only can we call Him Yahweh, we can actually call Him daddy. We call him Abba, Father. Praise be to God for a perfect mediator in Christ Jesus to the point where the Bible says we boldly go to his throne. Well, that's a better sermon than I've preached in a long time, so let's close in <laughs> prayer. <laughs> I do invite you to pray with me before we study God's word today. Lord, we are, we are grateful today for a perfect Substitute in Christ, a perfect mediator, the one mediator that's been given between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And uh, we're here to worship him. We're here to give him praise and attention and adoration as the eternal one, the one who said, Before Abraham was, I am. And we are his people, bought with his blood, together for fellowship together for worship and now lord we would ask that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word illumine our minds through the power of the spirit of god so that we might be true worshipers and we might find joy in christ jesus in whose name we pray amen well today we arrive at the end of the book of romans so if you have a bible i want to invite you to turn to romans Chapter 16. We're going to look at the final three verses in Romans this morning. And uh, that means we're going to look at what's called the doxology. The doxology in Romans, coming from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. We are coming to the place where the Apostle Paul invites us, if you will, to look upward and to gaze to God and God alone to give Him the glory, to give Him the significance, to give Him the praise, to give Him the attention. And no doubt we would want to do that in light of the Gospel, in light of what we've learned in Romans, that it is God and God alone who saves through the perfect work of Christ. And if that's true, what would we do? What would be a fitting response? It would be to look to Him. And to give Him glory. To do doxology. So we'll do that this morning. Read the text with me if you would. Read verses 25, 26, and 27. Or follow along with me as I do. Now, to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And hopefully you say amen. What we'll do structure-wise this morning is look at this in more detail from multiple angles, and we will be able to highlight 10 reasons to glorify God for the gospel. 10 reasons for doxology. 10 reasons to glorify God for the gospel. It's not that 10 is a magic number. I already have more than 10 on my little list, but we're going to stop at 10. 10 that we can certainly observe in this text as we would seek to be ushered in, if you will, to the throne room of God, where we would worship Him all the more for the gospel, for the work of His great, great Son. So, ten reasons for doxology, for gospel-centered, doxological praise. That sounds like a good title. Before we actually get to number one and move for- forward through these quickly, I do want to uh, just take note of the, of the, uh, the structure of the passage uh, in verses 25, 26, and 27, uh, we've got this this long Greek sentence and it's, it's been a bit tough grammatically uh, and yet it's interesting the way it's typically translated as it is in the English Standard Version and I think you might find it interesting and somewhat fascinating. Let's just read the sentence in its most simple form so we capture the big idea without getting lost in the details. Read with me in this sense. Verse 25, now to him who is... And then stop there. Now to Him who is... And then you go to verse 27. Now to Him who is... Verse 27. The only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the basic idea. That's the basic sentence. It is this doxology, this praise to this great God. Now to Him be glory. And yet, thankfully, guided under the guidance of the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul goes off on one of those great apostolic tangents. A gospel interjection, a gospel tangent. And it's almost as if he stops mid-sentence, and he does. He stops mid-sentence, and it's almost as if he runs back and grabs the highlights from the book of Romans and brings them back and injects them right here. And just draws specific attention To these great gospel highlights. And so we'll, with that in mind, go ahead and look at the details. Number one, glorify God for the gospel because it is strengthening. Number one, it is strengthening. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul today as we look to the Gospel, as we look to the work of Christ in His life and death and resurrection. Let's see and glorify Him because the Gospel is strengthening. It's right there in verse 25. You can notice there if you look at your Bible where it says, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you. New American Standard and NIV say, establishing you. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you or establish you or the King James is my favorite establish now to him who is able to establish you last Sunday I think in one of the services I used the phrase there's going to be some splaining to do well there's going to be some establishing to do it too it's this old way of saying strengthen establish build up make strong It's for stability. It's for growth. It's the idea. We're going to praise God. We're going to glorify God for His work in the gospel. The gospel which is able to establish you. The gospel which is able to build you up and make you able to stand firm, solid, stable, mature. We would want to praise God for that. This is a theme that started way back in Romans chapter 1. Remember, and I've mentioned this again and again, and I'll keep mentioning it, at least for another week. (laughs) Remember that he is writing to people who are called saints. He's writing to Christians. And remember in chapter 1, he's longing to go to them or to come to them, whichever way you look at it from, so he could preach the gospel to them. But they're already Christians. That's right. He needs to preach the gospel to them. And now we even understand better why we need to do that. Because it is the gospel that not only saves in the immediate sense. The gospel ultimately is what believers need to establish them. To stabilize them. To mature them. My rhetorical question to you is where do you go for your establishing? Where do you go for your maturity? Where do you go for your spiritual stability and your strength? Hopefully we've learned in Romans that we don't go somewhere other than the gospel. Hopefully we've learned in Romans to not have that gospel be some little sort of ditty that we check that box off and then we move on to other bigger and better mature things. No, the gospel is able to strengthen, stabilize, establish you. This is a good word for us to take note of and and embrace. We should be glorifying God because the gospel establishes us as Christians. Now I realize there are other factors, right? There are other components in Christian living and and, and there's other dynamics because if I ask you the question, how is it that you become spiritually mature? How do you become spiritually strong? Well, if we just all of a sudden opened it up for Q&A, somebody's going to say, well, that's, that's by the work of the Spirit that that happens. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And I would be quick to say, you're right, it is. And then I would say, but let's remember in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit of God works in conjunction with, in connection with the gospel. The Spirit of God is what teaches us the gospel. The Spirit of God is what enables us to believe the gospel. The Spirit of God is then what takes the gospel that is in you and that we understand and bears fruit based upon that. We could say, well, I've got another answer. How about the church? The church helps us to grow because there's different gifts in the church. And, and I'm going to say, you're absolutely right. And what is the church called to be? Well, the church is called to be a gospel Outreach, a gospel post, were to be the pillar and support of the truth, the truth of the gospel. So, in one way or another, it's all interconnected and gospel laced. And we've got to remember that. And we've got to remember that if that's true, and it is right here in our text, we would find ourselves compelled to glorify God for the great gift of his son, Jesus, in the gospel. Oh, yes, applied by the Spirit. Carried out in our life. Someone put it this way: The gospel establishes in the faith and therefore against error. The gospel establishes uh, an encouragement and therefore helps with persecution. The gospel establishes in holiness and therefore is the key to overcoming temptation. Just should remember, too, when Paul says he wanted to preach the gospel, he doesn't get to to the Romans, and so he writes Romans. So once again, we're not just talking about kiddie pool version. We're talking deep end version. What do we need to establish us? We need the gospel. Where can we find such a gospel that would be so profound and so deep so as to establish us? Romans. You want to help somebody get established in the faith? They need the gospel. They need the kind of gospel you find in Romans. To understand what it is. To understand what it isn't. To understand how it works. To understand how it doesn't work. Praise God for the gospel. The work of Christ. The work of the triune God. Let's move on now to number two. Glorify God for the gospel because... Reason number two, it is His work. It is His work. We see this also in verse 25 with multiple emphases that this is what God does, so He should be glorified. Now to Him who is able. I underline Him who is able because that means He's doing the work. That means He is to be glorified, not me. Him who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel, even that phrase or that word gospel is is another uh, catalyst for praising him, and I'll explain why in a moment. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, that's another thing that I underline because that's another identifier or helper that reminds us this this is his work, not our work. So if you will, look at uh, him who is able, my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. When he says, now to him who is able, he's saying, this is what God does. God is the author of the gospel. God is in charge here. God is the one who saves. Well, then, therefore, let's glorify him. Well, that's understandable. Then when he also says, according to my gospel, then he also says, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And I think he's basically saying the same thing. He's just saying it a different way. Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ are essentially the same. But please just stop and and, and let your mind ruminate. Let your mind meditate upon what he's saying there. The gospel isn't something we do. The gospel is an announcement of something that's been done. The preaching, that's why it's preaching, the preaching of Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming The work of Christ, not something that we are called to do or something that we do. All the emphasis is on God is what I'm trying to get you to see in the verse. The gospel is the work of God. Therefore, when we learn the gospel, we hear the gospel, who do we give the glory to? Not to us or to ourselves. We give the glory to Him because it's His work. This is why I beat the drum and I'll keep beating it in our current church culture and say remember the gospel is not something you can live you can't live the gospel it's as trendy as all get out but you can't do it you can live in light of the gospel that's biblical but you can't live the gospel the gospel is an announcement about something that's already happened that christ lived a perfect life that christ died a sinner's death that christ rose again from the dead Believe the gospel, yes. Live the gospel? If you can live the gospel, then this is a doxology for God and you. This is a doxology for God. Because if the gospel is an announcement of good news, like a reporter sees something happening and then reports on it, they're not doing the news. They're reporting the news. And then when he says, the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is something that has to be preached. We don't live the gospel. We preach the gospel. Because we're preaching the good news about Christ and what he's already accomplished. Therefore, if you understand that in Romans, you hold hands with the Apostle Paul, so to speak, and you echo his doxology. If the gospel is the work of God in Christ Jesus, to him and him alone be the glory forever and ever. You see? See the difference? We've got to learn that in Romans. We've got to come to the place where we're going to give him all of the credit because we have a gospel and the gospel has to be preached. It's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Translation for modern vernacular, we don't live the gospel. Because then it would be about us. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. God alone saves. So He alone is to be glorified it is his work and that should lead us to worship him stop and think about it if it's what you do and what he does then doxology goes both ways no it's all for him number three a third reason to to do doxology if you will glorify god for the gospel because it is the it is according to the revelation of god it is according to the revelation of god its I'll reread verse 9 and have you look with me again. Now to him who was able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to or based upon or consisting in the revelation, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. God. There's at least two statements in there that would cause us, cause me to go, whoa, (laughs) dude. (laughs) Not really, but get your attention if you're sleeping. (laughs) Major highlight statements. The revelation of none other than God Almighty, omnipotent, the Lord. And we're so used to reading the Bible that we, we say, yeah, okay, big deal. It's meant to be a big deal. The revelation of God. I wish I had a different kind of accent so it would sound more profound. It's the revelation of God. (laughs) We catch some of 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 the significance of what's happening here. If there is a God and He has revealed something that He Himself calls good news, it would cause us to say, what is it? It's the gospel of the work of His Son on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it? Praise be to God. Give Him the significance. Don't take the significance for yourself. It's the revelation of God. And even as he says in verse 26 toward the end, according to the commandment of the eternal God. Right? The eternal God? This This and this alone should cause us, even if we didn't know what the revelation was, and we do, to give God glory to give Him attention and direct the attention away from ourselves. Glorify God for the gospel because the gospel is according to His revelation. Therefore, that means it's not some sort of humanly contrived, trumped up message of goodwill for all peoples. Or, as some would say, therefore it's not some humanly contrived, trumped up religion that is actually bad for people. If it is the revelation of God, that means it's not the revelation of humanity. It's not something I made up or something you made up some good person somewhere, or however you look at it, some bad, twisted person somewhere. The revelation of God. Stop and, th- and think with me just about how, how interesting Christianity, biblical Christianity, is from all other religions on the planet. How different the revelation of God is. There's nothing like it. And when I say <laughs> biblical Christianity, I'm talking about the gospel Christianity we've learned about in Romans. Try to find a religion that is even similar. You've got a religion where God is inflexibly righteous. You've got humanity rebelling against Him. God's law being inflexible, God says they're all worthy of condemnation, justly so. Oh, and by the way, according to biblical Christianity, there is absolutely no ability within anyone to be reconciled to God. Remember Romans 3? I mean, you've got chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you've got three nails in the coffin. Boom, boom, boom. Or casket, since we're Americans. We don't have coffins. To the point where it says, no one does good, no not even one. And then... (laughs) what we are going to have is we're going to have this God not only be the just, as Romans 3 says, He's going to be the justifier. And so He Himself is going to come and solve our problem, and He's going to fulfill all righteousness for us. He's going to fulfill the law for us. He's going to absorb the wrath of God that we deserve by sending His Son. He is going to raise His Son from the dead on our behalf so that when it's all said and done, it's grace and only by grace. So he gets all of the credit and all of the glory and all of the honor. What human being made that up? No human being would ever make that up because we get no doxology. God gets all of it. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the revelation of God should motivate us and and thrill us into glorifying God and joining Paul. God and God alone saves. You can't make this stuff up. Nobody would make this stuff up. So we praise Him for being the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Number four, glorify God for the gospel because it is a mystery now made known. It is a mystery now made known. Now to him who was able to strengthen you, verse 25, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings. We can stop there. The mystery. It's the revelation of the mystery that used to be secret. For a long time it was secret. But now, Disclosed, now made known. Remember, mystery in the Bible is not, you know, Stephen King mysterious. You know? It's just something that was unclear, something that was shielded, something that was cloudy, something that hadn't been fully revealed yet. And maybe for us to appreciate this and to give God the kind of doxology he deserves, we have to do a quick mental rerun and go, say, and go back and say, all right, when we go back to Genesis and, and we start learning about the fall and we learn about human rebellion, and, and, you know, there's some hope in Genesis 3, but it's still unclear as to what that's going to look like. And then you work your way through Genesis and you see more. And you see how you've got a promise made to Abraham and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But exactly what's that going to look like? And then you keep working your way through and you work your way through and you work your way through and you get more data and it makes more sense. Yes, 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 yes but it is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ where the mystery has now been made manifest. It is clear we can have eyes wide open and it should cause us to say, to God be the glory. Isn't this amazing? Isn't it amazing to think that you understand the Abrahamic covenant probably better than Abraham did? If you've been through third grade Sunday school at Omaha Bible Church? Because there's fullness. You, you've got gaps filled in. And, and you see how Christ is the center of all of it to a degree that they didn't before. And you say, this is amazing. And then you say, God, you are amazing. What was once a mystery is now made known. What others were eager to learn about and couldn't quite make sense of We understand very well. The unclear has become clear. The hidden has been revealed. The mystery is no more. The anticipated is now a reality. And so we glorify God for his revelation in Christ. Number five, glorify God for the gospel because it is universally applicable. It is universally applicable. Verse 26 again says... But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings, here we go, has been made known to all nations. Perhaps stressing how far the gospel has gone at this point in time because it has gone far into the known world at the time. But other commentators would have us to to know that the emphasis may actually be upon the universal, as I'm saying, applicability. Not to actual extent to where it has gone, but the fact that it's all nations. Again, this is one you and I take for granted because most of us are Gentiles. But you put yourself in the Old Testament world where you could come to know God as a Gentile, you just need to become a Jew first. You've got to go through their system. You've got to become a proselyte Jew. And in Christ Jesus... The gospel is the power of salvation. Remember Romans one sixteen, For the Jew first and also for the Greek. And the wall of partition, according to Ephesians, has been torn down. And now we are one body in Christ. Universal applicability, all different kinds of people. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, which includes all different kinds of people. It includes everyone. The gospel does that. So we don't need a certain message of salvation for Jewish people. Oh, and we have to have a different kind of message of salvation for for other people. Uh, We have to have a certain kind of message of salvation for North Americans. We have to have another kind of certain message of salvation for people who live in China and others who live in Afghanistan and others who live in... Oh, and if they come from a certain religious background, we've got to have a gospel for them and a different religious background, we have to have a gospel for them. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's Christ. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew first, also to the Greek. And so he says here in another way has been made known to all nations. Universal applicability gospel saves all different kinds of people. To use a different um, synonym the way the Bible says it often would be that Jesus is the savior of the What? The world. That's meant to be an outrageous statement. He, the Jewish peasant, not just Savior for Jews, but Savior for the whole world, meaning the nations, meaning all different kinds of people. Again, I take it for granted. I'll totally fess up. I'll fess up to you that I don't think in my devotions, oh, isn't it amazing? Jesus is Savior of the nations. Not on a regular basis anyway. One reason I'm thankful for expository preaching. One reason I'm thankful for studying the Bible together here because you know what? I'm at least learning. And and how about it's even helping me today? We were singing songs about the nations. And you just sing a song because that somehow rhymed with the verse that went before and somebody made that up. No, no. Actually that was a pretty thoughtful person if they're talking about how great Christ is because he's the savior of the nations. And it's meant to be profound. It's meant to be a big deal. He is the universal savior. That doesn't mean universalism, it doesn't mean everyone is saved. But he's the one and only savior. And we should give glory to God for that. Praising him. Most of us, by the way, are part of the nations. So we should be exceptionally grateful. Glory to God that there is a gospel that brings hope to the nations. Now we understand Genesis 12 even better. Well, Let's move on. Glorify God for the gospel because, number six, it is according to the command of the eternal God. It is according to the command of the eternal God. I tried to make these as short as I could, but I had to come up with the the gist of the idea, so I hope you can abbreviate. Again, this is one of those times I wish I had an accent. Didn't I tell you last Sunday don't trust anybody with an accent? Anyway, I can't keep it straight. For effect, the command of the eternal God. Can you imagine? If it were that, that the eternal God made a command be pretty impressive well he has and it's in relationship to the gospel so let's take a look in 26 according to this is all gospel centric context according to the command of the eternal god to bring about the obedience of faith how about that Common Old Testament title. He's fairly common. He is the eternal God. The God without beginning. The God without end. uh, The one true God as it were. And what has this one true God done? He's commanded to bring about the obedience. That's a matching word with our word command, right? Command and obedience, they go together. To bring about the obedience of faith. Here's how I take that. The command of the eternal God is, believe in the Lord Jesus with a promise, right? And you'll be saved. We see that in the book of Acts. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. There's another divine command, gospel related. The eternal God has issued a command Acts 17, right? Acts 16 as well. It's essentially a command to believe in Jesus. Don't check out. Keep thinking with me. Think in light of Romans. We've got to believe in Jesus. That's what the eternal God has commanded. Well, that's enough to give Him glory right there because if the eternal God has spoken, we should glorify Him. And by the way, we should do what he says, but there's just a little problem. That's not a little problem. Romans 3 says, No one does good, no, not one. None of us obey the eternal God who's issued the command to believe. So then, answer this question. Why would we give him doxology? Why would we give Him praise? The answer is because this eternal God does indeed grant saving faith. We learned about it in Romans 8. We learned about the work of the Spirit of God in Romans 8, that He is the one that gives life, that He is the one we could go somewhere else like in Ephesians where dead and trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Him. We could go to John chapter 3 where Jesus talks about the sovereign blowing of the Spirit, where the Spirit goes wherever He wishes, but He cannot be harnessed, He cannot be controlled, but He is the one who brings new birth, which brings faith, So when we read this and it says to bring about the obedience of faith according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith and when we read that as believers we give God glory (laughs) because we know in and of ourselves no one does good, no not one including believing This is reminiscent of chapter 1, by the way. A lot in 16 is is reflected in in chapter 1 because he's wrapping up up what he started. And in chapter 1, verse 5, we learn about the call to obey the gospel. The eternal God calls people to obey the gospel. And here we are, believers, many of us, in the gospel, knowing that we didn't do it ourselves. Causes me to say, to God and God alone be the glory. Give Him the attention. Give Him the significance. Give Him the weight, if you will. We're believers. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, give God glory because you didn't do that because you were so capable. Read Romans 8. Isn't it good? It is so good. I'd say unbelievably good, but that would be nonsense. Cuz it's believably good. Staggeringly good. If you know good synonyms I could use in my sermons, would you send those to me? <laughs> Staggeringly, amazingly. Unbelievable? No, don't send that. Astoundingly. Stupefyingly. Now now we're getting carried away. there just aren't enough good words to describe how good the gospel is. And if you're a believer, you know that. Let's keep moving now. Let's go now to number seven. Glorify God for the gospel because it is rational. It is rational. For him to say what he says in verse 27, To the only wise God be glory forevermore is very, very rational. I'm not talking about rationalism. This is based upon the revelation of God, but it is logical, and it is therefore very rational. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. By the way, even if this was not even about the gospel, it would be rational. If there's only one wise God, guess who should get all of the attention? It's the one wise God. This is reminiscent of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is reminiscent of the whole Old Testament. This is reminiscent of the whole New Testament. This is reminiscent of the fact that Christianity is monotheistic. One God. Deuteronomy 6.4, right? Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one and alleviating any understanding, uh, any doubt about what he means, he goes on to make sure we understand he is making a statement about monotheism because he says, therefore, in effect, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Him with all that you are because there's only one of them. If there were five deities, then you couldn't love any of them with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength because everybody gets their fair share. There's only one Wise God. Give him all of the glory. But isn't it great that in our context here we see that not only do we only have one God, he's the God who is the author of salvation in Christ. Give him all of the attention, give him all of the glory. This is rational. No other God does this. For that matter, there is no other God. This makes sense. Not to mention all of the other things that make sense about the way this God saves. Romans 3.26, he's the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I would love to talk about how rational that is. To the only wise God be glory. Number eight, glorify God for the gospel because it is unceasingly relevant It is unceasingly relevant, the gospel is. Back to verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The fact that he says forevermore tells me that this is always going to be relevant. If you give glory to God for the gospel forevermore, that means... This is what's always appropriate. This is always what is honoring to God. It's always what is glorifying to God. You see? You want to be irrelevant? Talk about something other than the gospel. Not to mention unfaithful. You want to be on the cutting edge? What's going to be happening next year? What's the next big thing, pastor? What do you go, What's your vision for the future? Sometimes I always feel so dumb have any vision for the future other than Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law. Died a sinner's death. Rose again from the dead. Let's call people to believe in that. That's my vision for the future but how about it? How about the fact that that is what secures fidelity and that is what secures relevance. Because God is always glorified in the good news about his son isn't that good? It is fantastic. It is wonderfully good. Listen to this: for if the gospel brings glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, we know that the gospel is, and always will be, relevant. After all, it is the very thing it is the very thing that brings eternal glory to God. Please own that. Please please put that in your Bible case. Please put that in your head. Put that in your heart. And, And as an individual, have that locked in. Assuring relevance is gospel ministry. And let's have that locked in for us as a church. We don't need to try to figure out what wave God is sending next so we can paddle in and catch the next wave. We're not looking for the next wave. Rick Warren is looking for the next wave. That's what he says. We're not looking for the next wave. If God has sent a wave, it is the wave of the gospel. And it will always and forevermore glorify God. And so, why in the world would we want to be about anything else? What will we do next? I hope we find the gospel in Hebrews. (laughs) We will. Number nine, glorify God for the gospel because it is by nature glorifying. It is by nature glorifying. This is an easy one, but it's maybe my favorite. The gospel is by nature glorifying. See at 27 again where he says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Um, who is Jesus Christ in relationship to God, the Father? He's the Son. Well, if Jesus... Christ is the Son of God and the Gospel is all about what Jesus Christ has done, by nature the Gospel is glorifying to God. Think about it. The Son of God does the great work of redemption. And as He's the great Redeemer, who is He? Who who is this Jesus? He's the Son of God doing the great work of redemption. By being the Son of God, doing the great work of redemption, by definition, that is glorifying to God because He's the Son of God, doing the work of God. Remember, you could even define glorify as reflect. It's one way to look at it. It's amazing to see. I have to veer away from kind of my agenda this morning. I've been trying to kind of put things in an almost the imperative uh, mode Okay, let's learn about the gospel and let's make sure we all glorify God for the gospel. The gospel is good, so let me exhort you to glorify God. Point number one. Let me exhort you to glorify God. Point number two. Well, on point number nine, we don't even need to do any exhorting. You don't have to do anything. And the gospel does glorify God. There, isn't, there doesn't even need to be a call to action. The gospel, based upon what it is, the work of God's Son, is glorifying to God. Now, I think it's appropriate to say, so let's join in and glorify Him. (laughs) Let's embrace it and promote it and proclaim it and defend it. And joining in the excitement. But by definition, it does glorify God. And number 10, finally, hopefully, you're all ready for this one. It is patently agreeable. It is patently agreeable. I could say universally agreeable if I was referring to believers, universally among believers, universally among the elect. But I'll just say patently agreeable. Just to to catch the flavor for what it all is, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Let's do it again. Come on. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We say amen. We're going to do a third service just for you guys. You're you're ready to worship now maybe. Amen means I agree. So let it be. This is right. And at this point we've heard the gospel, we've seen the gospel, we've seen it work in and out and all around and we know what it is that is the good news about the work of Christ and now the Apostle Paul is is doing doxology, praising and glorifying God and after that great summary statement, it's patently agreeable. Amen. We say amen. If you're a believer... You are spiritually obligated to get in touch with your Baptist inner self. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Even if you're a Presbyterian or something else. This is how you respond, by the way. If you've believed the gospel, you, you, you know of God's grace and you know of God's greatness and you know of his great mercy, you know of the great work of Jesus. And so you just find yourself now having learned the gospel in Romans and you have to say, having learned it, having heard it, you say, I agree. I agree. Amen. It's right. It's so right. And if you can't say amen... Got to go back to, what, what is this gospel? How does this gospel work? Okay, this is week 69 in Romans. So I haven't been very faithful. I'll go slower next time. Um, but we can't end on week 69. So we're going to do the white spaces next week. And do, no. Next week what we're going to do is look at Romans as a whole. And see how it works and how it functions and how it goes together because it was written as a letter. Uh, And so we won't read the whole text next week, but I do want us to look and just see how it fits together, how it functions together. And uh, I think that might be helpful and edifying to understand the gospel better, to even be more ready maybe to read the last three verses and to give God an appropriate doxology. And so that'll be the plan for next week. Uh, On the following days, we're going to do a series, uh, we're going to do a series on. Uh, called Hell Matters uh, this summer. And then uh, after that, we're going to do a series in Hebrews, uh, chapter a week in Hebrews, Lord willing. Uh, I want to do a message here in the next couple of weeks called Why the Church Needs to Mind Its Own Business, particularly related to politics. Um, so just to give you an idea of kind of where we're going, but I can promise you this. It will be about the gospel. It has to be about the gospel because that is what establishes us. And so hang on. It'll be a great time. Looking forward to it. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Uh, But let's pray right now together. Father, thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that does, in fact, establish us. And may it be so. May we see great establishing with older folks, with younger folks, with children, that we would find ourselves being built up in the faith, that we would find ourselves seeing people come to faith and obeying the command of the eternal God to believe the gospel. Lord, give us days of great joy even amidst difficulties even amidst trials and turmoil, give us great days where we find joy in the unmovable, unshakable promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.